Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. This message is from one of our pastors here at Central. Well, we have really enjoyed just focusing in on prayer. I don't know about you. How about you? Have you enjoyed that? Just focusing in on prayer. Just We just really felt to camp out on it. And so let's just review what we've learned in this series in Scene Change about prayer produces change. Amen. How many of you have been pressing in prayer and you have seen a change as you have pressed in in prayer? Anybody have seen a change? Amen. Email the church. Let us know. Testify. What is God doing as you are praying and you're seeing the change? Let us know so we can give glory and honor to the Lord. Maybe it's something as simple as something going on in your child's life as they're entering into the school year, or maybe you've seen a miracle in, in your health. Let us know. Prayer produces change. Kurt spoke a beautiful message about how we have to start with Jesus, right? Jesus started with his father. We have to start with Jesus. And then Amber preached a beautiful message on waiting in prayer. How many of us know that we, when we're waiting, the best place is on our knees and keeping focus on him? Well, yet last week, Kurt preached on remaining. Did God do any pruning this past week in you? Did you allow him to cut away the things that don't need to be there? Sometimes it can feel a little painful, but really it's to our benefit remaining in him. And today we're going to finish up in the series about making room for his presence, making room for his presence. We're going to be in both the Old and in the New Testament this morning, and we're exploring some situations both with Jesus as well as a unique story in the Old Testament where if there was a space created, a room set aside for the presence of God, he showed up and he showed off. And it was a beautiful scenario in every time. He led, left nothing empty in that space or that room. So when there's a placeholder for him, there should be anticipation that he's going to do something. Amen? Yeah, so he takes the liberty to move. Well, when I was a little girl, I had a dollhouse. I don't know, maybe many of you ladies or young girls, maybe you had a dollhouse too. And you set everything up, you place the furniture in the rooms, you make it just so, right? Well, growing up in a household of three little girls, we each had our own dollhouse. And we would go and visit one another's homes, right? And we would help each other decorate. We would make our own magazines and um, help each other with the furniture arrangement. And we would make little cakes and fruits out of polymer clay and bake them in the oven. And then we would share. It was making our home a little special. Now, maybe you boys weren't playing with, you know, a dollhouse, but maybe it was your matchbox cars or your little toy soldiers or G.I. Joe, right? There was something that you did to create space with your toy, right? You were, you were creating a little nook, a little cranny for it. Or it was your Barbie doll dream house, right? And it had the special elevator in it. But there was something about making space and making it perfect. It's not much different for us now that we're all grown up, right? You move into a new home. Did anybody just move this year? You move into a new home and you create space. You buy the drapes, you pick out the paint colors, you buy a plant and put it next to the the best sunlit room, and you're arranging the furniture to make it home, to make it yours. You create a space 
or an environment desirable to live in, to dwell in. Now, we have rooms for eating and sleeping and watching TV, but do we leave a space for Jesus? Do we leave him space in our lives and in our rooms? Regardless if you have a mansion or a one-room apartment, you have enough room for him. Let me tell you that. No matter what the, the dwelling place or abode that you have, you have enough room for him in your life. So today we're going to be moving through Jesus' life and his ministry, and we're going to explore all the places and spaces and rooms that were set aside for him and how he came and inhabited them and dwelt in them. We're going to kind of move quickly through them. So if you would grab your Bible or your phone, whatever you use for your mode of Scripture, as well as maybe a pen or a tablet to jot down so maybe you can go back and look at these, we're going to move through these today. The first space that was created for Jesus was actually prophetic. We're going to call this the revelation the revelation. This comes out of Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon what? Whose shoulders? His shoulders. All right, let's say the names of who he is. He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We can read this scripture all year long, right? Not just at Christmas. This is our Jesus that was proclamated, prophesied to come. The Jewish nation was like, what? There's, there's something more? And their hearts then were creating a space for the King to come. There was an automatic placeholder for him to come. They didn't know when. And from the time of the prophecy, there were hundreds of years that passed. They waited and they waited for him to come. Micah 5.2 even prophesied the location of his birth, that the Jewish nation knew that the king was on its way, that Jerusalem would be the place he would be enraptured in, their city. Jewish people made room in their hearts. The revelation was there. Their attention was on it, right? When you're focusing your attentions on it, your anticipation will grow. So let's fast forward into the New Testament, and there's an announcement that was made. Jesus comes. The King finally comes. The birth of Christ. And there was a birth announcement, right? When a baby comes, you want to tell people about it. In Luke chapter 2... We have the birth announcement, and the people who had prepared their hearts for his coming now can fill it. The space that was provided now is being filled, but there was yet another space or room made for him. So here he is, the Savior, yes, the Messiah. This is verse 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly an angel was joined by a vast host of other, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest of heavens and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Now the angels sang about his announcement. Here he is. He's here. It was an invitation to find him. Isn't that beautiful? 
So we have the revelation in the Old Testament of he's coming. And now it's the announcement of here he is, come and find him. There's a space made for him. There was a space made for him. He grows and he changes and he's getting ready for his ministry. And as the close of his ministry, there's going to be a display. The display of who he is, the king, come riding through on his triumphal entry. This is a parade, a glorious parade, where they shout Hosanna. But first, there had to be preparation for it, a space to provide, a mode of transportation for him. So in Matthew 21, we're going to look at this space that was provided, and there will be rooms that will come. The story of Jesus' entry, um, we're going to start here in verse 1. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples. Go to the village ahead of you, and once you will find a donkey there tied to her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, Jesus prepared his own mode of transportation for his own parade. I mean, he's amazing, isn't he? The details that, that Jesus has all set forth. There was something set aside for him. But this donkey wasn't just a vehicle, it was a vessel. It was a vessel. Are you a vessel for the Lord? Are you creating space for him to move and have his being among you and say, he's, and he's saying to you, I want to have a place where my presence can dwell. I want to have a space in you where I can do and have liberty to move in your life. Be a vessel for the Lord. Moving forward in that very important week, Jesus' final week, there's the remembrance. There's two instances, but we're going to look at the one in Luke, Luke 22, that a room was prepared for the final supper, the last supper. I love this story because, again, the details, Jesus is in the details. You know, sometimes I think we think that Jesus forgets. When you're praying to him, and you're, communi- you're, 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 you're bearing your heart out, Lord, I need this, did you know about that? We think, Lord, I think you forgot. But he doesn't forget. He's the author and finisher of our faith. His pen hasn't dried up. He didn't forget any details of the story. He is, he is on, he's on the mark. And if you look at this in, in Luke, he tells his disciples, Peter and John, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And they said, well, where, where do you want us to, to prepare it? Verse 10, he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. That's a detail, isn't it? Do you know in the village there probably were quite a few guys with a jar of water? It was a busy place, and it was Passover. It was very busy. But Jesus knows the details. He says, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of that house, the teacher said, where is the guest room? It's very bold, isn't it? Where I I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room, all furnished, make the preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Isn't it beautiful how the Lord had a room set aside? just for that moment. It's the same for us in our life. 
Remember the dollhouse? Maybe you had a favorite room in the dollhouse. Or in your home, you have a favorite room to go. Where is your favorite space with Jesus? Do you have a room prepared for him? At the end of the final part of that week of Jesus' life, we know he, he's, he had a terrible trial, awful crucifixion. But he is our treasure, amen? And they placed him in an unused tomb. It was the perfect, beautiful space in a garden. He is our treasure. The tomb was prepared for his burial. In John 19, we know that Joseph asked Pilate for the body. And they prepared that body. But Jesus wasn't going to just hang out in that tomb, was he? He was going to be very busy. Because the supernatural was going to be happening. When you prepare a room or a space for the Lord to work, you better expect the supernatural. The supernatural is on its way when you make room for Jesus to work. They place Jesus' body in the garden, in a new tomb. And let me ask you this. How many of you have, um, as as a kid, maybe you wore hand-me-downs or older shoes of somebody else's? Some of you might like to consign shopping. I don't know. I like newer things. I don't mind the old things. I actually love antiques, but I do love new things. But as for Jesus, is he getting the old things of your life or is he getting something new from you? Are you okay with something new from him? When you pick up his word and you read it, you're like, oh, I read that before. Or are you ready for something new? Jesus wants to do new things. Behold, I do a new thing. Can you not perceive it? Well, he was about to do something new. New. They place him in the tomb. And on this day of preparation, the tomb was nearby. They laid Jesus there. So Jesus' dead and mangled body was prepared for the unthinkable, to live again. They gave him a clean room so he could get his work done that day. And the story keeps getting better. We know Jesus raises from the dead. How many of you are thankful for a risen Savior, right? Amen. Jesus raises from the dead. He, he talks to his disciples. He meets with people on the road. It's, it's this beautiful, victorious, just, oh, it's just such a victory for the people there. And then he ascends. But before he goes, he tells his followers, wait. Wait for the power. Wait for the power to come. So the power the disciples were told to tarry in a room for power. So they go to a room, 120 of them. Now let's just be real here for a second, okay? In the Middle East, it gets a little hot, right? A little hotter than even this past week. How many of you were cranky this past week? Come on, be honest. I was cranky this past week. It was hot and muggy. Nobody was cranky except for me, Kurt. Okay, Adam, thanks. Okay, it's when you, when you get hot, you get cranky. These are all better Christians, I guess. All right, so, but imagine 120 brand new Christians. They're still learning how to live their life for Jesus, right? They're all stuck in a room together, and they're waiting. Do you think there was anybody in that group of Christians that were like, what are we doing? Can't we just go get some food down in the market? 
Do you think there was anything in the doubting Thomas that was like, oh, Jesus said, but I don't know. No, it says they were in one accord, waiting, waiting in the room that was prepared for the power of God to fall, right? Are we in one accord? Are we waiting here in this room this morning for something for the Lord to do? I hope so. I hope so. So if you look at, at the series of scriptures in, in Acts, Acts 1 and 4, being assembled together, he told them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. To be, they had been baptized with water, but they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Well, you know when sometimes when God talks to you and he says, pretty soon, just wait, what does that mean? Right? And he tells them not too many days from now. That's a lot of people in a hot room to be waiting not too many days from now, right? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be my witnesses. Acts 2.4, and they were filled. They waited in the space that was made for the power of God to fall. I love it. Fire and wind came and rested upon them. Because of what Jesus did for us, we have celebration. You know what the celebration is? It's salvation. It's salvation. Salvation makes a space for Jesus to reign in our lives. Do you remember the day when you heard the knocking on your heart and you opened the door and let him in? You let him come in and reign in the space in your life. That's celebration. Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you shall be saved. Now there's one final one, and this is anticipation. Revelation twenty two twelve. behold, I come quickly. Jesus is going to return. This is a prophecy that he's coming back. Who is excited he's coming back? Anybody? Okay, two hands up. Anybody, two hands up. Okay, I'm excited. We still have work to do as the church, right? And this is not a message of when he's coming, how he's coming, how he's showing up. He's, he's coming. So I'm excited about that. That's anticipation. You know what that means? Is it still creates a space for my king to return. It keeps me in, in anticipation that the supernatural is going to happen. It's not every day that there's a blink of an eye and a trumpet sounds and then we all get ushered up. I don't know, it didn't happen yesterday because we're still here, right? That's a supernatural experience that's going to happen. Graves are going to bust open and the dead in, rise, dead in Christ will rise first. I don't know, nobody's excited in here except for me. Anticipation means... Like confetti party balloons, we're going. Create the space for him to move. Stay in anticipation. Let us not grow like um, those in the Old Testament where it just kind of got lost. And so when Jesus finally came as a baby, they didn't recognize him. Let us be ready, our ears attuned for him to come. Every place that was prepared for Jesus, he came. He filled it. He showed up. He showed off. 
He inhabited it. He demonstrated power and his love in it. Amen? In every instance. He didn't didn't leave anything undone. He filled it. There was nothing left empty. We're going to move a little bit backwards this morning to the Old Testament and talk about an intriguing story about a room that was prepared. Now, you have to keep in context about this room as we move backwards that they did not have Jesus yet, okay? They didn't have him in tangible form yet, okay? So they relied on the presence of God as they approached men of God. So the men of God had the presence of God, all right? So that's how the people equated that. I want to read Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 as we approach this story to keep things in our hearts and in focus. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. The Lord has spoken. I will bless those who has a humble and a contrite heart who tremble at my word. The Lord is looking for people who have a life of humility and who are inhabitable. Now think about it. Scripture says there that the earth, I'm sorry, that, the, that heaven is his throne. All right, so we know he's seated, correct? The earth is his footstool. The Lord is relaxed. He is not stressed out. Everything in heaven and earth, he made it. It's all his. He is chilled out. He's not in a hurry. He's not worried. But he's challenging us to say, I love how it says in the, in the New King James. Where is the house that you will build for me? I made all this. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the space for me? Where is the space for me? Keep that imagery in your mind as we look at this Old Testament story of a room. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Why don't you flip there? I'm going to summarize a lot of it, but you might want to follow along in your finger, with your finger. 2 Kings chapter 4. The story begins in verse 8 with a, a couple, a little older. It says that they're nobles, so that means that they have some good means about them. And they loved the prophet Elisha. And any time that he would come through their town, they would offer for him to come to their home and they would feed them, feed him, right? They were hospitable toward him. And because that they were of nobility and had some money, the wife comes up with this great idea, a house project, okay? Let's go to Lowe's. Let's go to Home Depot. And she says, let's build a room for Elisha. Ladies, how many of you are like, hey, let's, let's like put a room on the back of the house, right? Or let's, um, let's knock this wall down, open concept, right? 
She had a project idea, and look at verse 10 with me. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Look at those four elements, a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So the story continues, and Elisha returns to their town again, and they invite him to come to stay. And he finds the room to be very comfortable, so he stays. Elisha is very grateful for their hospitality, so he calls for his assistant Gehazi, and he says to them, says to him, hey, what can we do in return for this wonderful couple, for how that they've built this room for me? What, what can we do? And Gehazi says, well, they have no children. They are older, but they, they have no children. So Elisha says, well, call the woman and have her stand in the doorway of the room. And he prophesies to her, woman, this time next year, you will have a son. She looks at him and she says, Elisha, do not lie to me. But he says, this time next year, you will have a son. And sure enough, she did. That very same time in the year following, she did have a son. And the son grew, and and of course, it must have been wonderful to see the fulfillment of that prophecy in their own life to have a child. Well, the son ran out to the field one day where the father was tending to the field. And something happened medically to him where he says, my head, and he drops. We don't know what it could have been. Maybe it was a brain aneurysm, a terrible headache, or a stroke. But something made the child drop to the ground after grabbing at his head. The mother holds him on her lap until noon, and the son dies. And they take the child, and they place him in that upper chamber on the bed of the prophet in the place of the presence of God. Remember that. This mother does something unthinkable. She asks her husband to saddle up a donkey. And he says, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to find Elisha. He says, right now? And she says these words, it is well. It is well. Now that's an assured mom. She just lost her son but she is pursuing the presence of God. She is not going after a man. She knows that he holds the presence of God and she's going after it. So I'm asking you, in your day-to-day, are you pursuing God? Are you going after him? Are you waiting for him to come to you or are you going after him? He says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. She was going after the real deal. She goes to the presence of God. She chases it down and invites it to come back to her home. She knows that if the presence of God comes to her home, something's going to change. Something's going to change. So there's going to be some dialogue between she and Elisha and Gehazi. But we're going to pause right here in the story, and we're going to talk about the elements of that room. We'll come back and finish the story to see how it ends. So remember, there were four parts to that room. Bed, table, chair, and lamp. Let's first talk about the bed. 
Okay, now I know this, we talked, this was a footstool, but this is a bed for right now, okay? Work with me, people, all right? A bed. In the original language in Hebrew, it's called mitah, and it means to recline or to have a long stay. In a spiritual sense, it means the hovering of his presence. Let that stew in your heart for a second. That woman, when she prepared that room, there was more than just putting a bed there for that prophet to rest. She was inviting the presence of God to rest in her home, a hovering of his spirit. A hovering of the spirit of God in her home. A long stay, the intimacy of having the Lord around. You know, how many times... Do we say, hey, Lord, good morning. I've got to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, bless my mom and dad, you know, be with the kids and so-and-so at work. And how, okay, Lord, have a great day. And off we go. No, it's the hovering of the presence of God, leaning into it, letting it change and develop our hearts. The table the table in the Hebrew is skulhan. It's translated as the king's table. It's used for friendship and sacredness and supping together. Boy, that sounds to me what Jesus did with his disciples at the Last Supper. And it sounds to me what we'll do someday in anticipation for all of, e all of eternity we will sit together supping with the Savior. We'll get the munchies with Jesus, right? Isn't it interesting when we prepare a room for him, what is he doing for us? He's preparing a place for us. The king's table. The chair is called a kissah in the Hebrew. It's a seat of honor. It's a place of rest. Listen, every kingdom has a throne. It's a seat of honor. So I'm asking you, who sits on the throne of your heart? Who sits on the throne of your heart? And if you say, Jesus, did you give him the best chair? Or did you grab one out of the corner that's a little wonky? unstable, creaky? Or does he get the best seat in the house? The last element of that room is the lamp. The actual word is menorah in the Hebrew. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now I am a simple-minded woman. I don't always understand what I read here. How about you? You could read it a thousand times, and it might not make sense, but the unfolding of his word is light. And it'll just pierce your heart, won't it? There was something about every part that she put in that room that had spiritual depth and meaning. Why did the woman believe that if Elisha, who carried the presence of God, came to her home, that things would change? You know, actually, Elijah's predecessor, Elijah, this very thing happened. 
where he raised a boy to life. So was she banking on that? Perhaps she wasn't a thrill seeker, but a real deal seeker. It's not about the room or the furnishings or the decor. It's about It's not about running to the speaker after a conference. It's about running after Jesus. It's not about the person. It's about the one true Jesus. You know, you're you're not going to get something better from Kurt and I if you come and ask us to pray with you rather than someone else on the altar team. We don't have better prayers, promise. We don't have a more direct phone line to the Lord, promise. You do, because listen, according to to Romans 8, the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives where? In you. Somebody say in me. In me. It lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It lives in you. Direct line. Make a space to the direct line, to the source So let's go back to the story and see how it ends. Verses 33 through 35. Elisha sends his his assistant, Gehazi, ahead of him with his staff and tells his assistant to lay the staff on the boy. Remember, he's laying on the bed. But that didn't revive the boy. So in 33... Verse 33, it says, Elisha went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth. This is wild stuff. His eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands, and he stretched out on him. The child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then went back and stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. The the child came back to life. I mean, this this story is incredible. Now you think about it for a second. I want to show you something. Gehazi put the staff on the child. That didn't work. Elijah stretches out on him. He gets up and he does it again. That's three times. That's a number of completion. Okay? What happens when the body warms up? What did the child do? How many times did he sneeze? Seven. That's another number of completion. It was finished. It was finished. But here's what I want to ask you. When we sing songs like, you're the king of my heart, take all of me, Lord, do it again, shake up my life, are you ready for it? What would you do if the Spirit of God came and fell on you and gave you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Would you turn your head? Or would you breathe in the Holy Spirit? Greater still, parents, what would you do if the Holy Spirit came down like that on your child? Or grandparents, it came down on your grandkids? Would you go like, whoa, now I don't see this in the Bible. Oh, yeah, right here in 2 Kings 4, right there, Mm -hmm, right there. Would you allow your mind to step in and start trying to rationalize it? But you can't rationalize the supernatural. It goes beyond our natural minds. It's why it's supernatural. 
We cannot put God in a box. Sure, we make space for him, but he will take the liberty with it. What would you do if he came in like that and just laid down upon you a hovering of his spirit like that? Would you be ready for it? Would you accept it? I want it. I want that. I want to just quickly show you two other instances. Just write these down if you're taking notes. Sorry. When Solomon completed his temple, a glory cloud filled the space. It was so heavy that the priests couldn't finish their job. It was so heavy. What would you do if a cloud came in here in the room? Would you take pictures and post it on media? Or would you stop and, and just, what do you want to say, Lord? What would you do if a cloud filled the room? See, for, for, the, for the, those that were in the temple that day, they remembered for their ancestors the cloud by day that led them through the desert. It was the glory, the presence of God. But Lord, you want to do that here? Go for it. Go for it. I want that. In 2 Samuel 6, 10 and 12, David, King David did not want to allow the Ark of the Covenant to be left uh, behind. He wanted it to have a house to be in. So he gives it to Obed-Edom. And for three months, it was in Obed-Edom's house. And scripture says, I love this, and God blessed Obed-Edom and his household for housing the word of God, the Ark of the Covenant. I want that for my house. I want the presence of God to be in my home, word of God flourishing, my kids growing up in the faith. I want that. Do you? I want it. If you go back to Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, where it says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, the very last part of it says, I will bless those who have a humble and contrite heart, those who tremble at my word. The word contrite there literally means lamed or disabled. In a, in a spiritual significance, because you are so route with sin, you know that you can't do it apart from Jesus. You can't do it apart. You can't put one foot in front of the other without him. So if you're not creating a space for him, you can't do it without him. You can't do it without him. Earlier in the series, Kurt charged us with finding our Eremos Grotto. And the Eremos Grotto was the place where Jesus went to pray alone. It was the space that he had carved out and made for he and just his father. And if we are following his example, then we need to carve out a space making room for the presence of Jesus in our life. You know, I know a few young moms who they have put, taken this to heart and they have made space for Jesus every day. Even that's hard with little ones, right? To the point where their little ones have then found their Bibles and crawled right up next to mom and sit with them. I know of people who are with their aging parents and they just speak scripture and sing hymns over them. 
sometimes the schedule can get a little crazy and it's like, well, I don't know, I don't know where to put it in. Let me challenge you with something that someone challenged me. We keep our appointments for everyone else. Why don't we keep an appointment for Jesus every day? Right? We get charged if we're late to a doctor's appointment. What is the detriment to your spirit if you're late for your appointment with Jesus for the day? What is the charge for you? Make room. Make room. I want to make room for Jesus in our service today. Because I'll tell you what making room for him is not. It is not at your small group when you're with your community. It's not in your Thrive group. It's, it's not in your central community. It's not on the phone, even when you're discussing a spiritual concept. It's not even here corporately when we're in, in with one another on a Sunday. It's one-on-one with Jesus. It's, it's hiding away with him. It's the prolonged presence of the Lord right here. So I want to make room for him this morning where you and him. So here's what I, I'm, I'm proposing. The altar is open. The aisles are open. Step away even from the one that you came to church with today and just make room for him. There's no altar team. It's just you and the Lord. And don't bring your request to him. Just say, I'm, he- I'm making room for you. What, what do you want to do, Lord? What do you want to say, Lord? And you just be quiet before him. See what he says. There's a, there's a part of the song, um, if you can throw those, that, that bridge up. It says, shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Holy cow, if you're not ready to sing it or say it, I I don't know. I hope you're ready to sing it or say it. How about that? That's a hefty prayer right there. Break down the walls. I'm making room for you. I'm, I'm giving you space. So as we go into worship today, just say, I'm I'm not even sure I know what to say. Just speak the words and prepare for God to rest upon you today. I just pray over you right now that you would feel the closeness of the presence of God. If you give the Lord an inch, He's going to do it. Just give Him space, He's going to do it. You can stand, you can kneel, you can come here to the altar, but just give the Lord some moments of your time today to do something special let it just mark a difference in your life today.
changing now. Everything is changing now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And miracles are breaking out. Your presence is amongst us now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Everything is changing. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Spirit of the Lord is here. Miracles are breaking out. Your presence is among us now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Spirit of the Lord is here. Come, Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you feel the love. Here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart down. When you're in the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me come. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart down. When you feel the room, much more we can do with you than without you. 
Your ways are higher and better. Because of it, there's so much more that we can do with you than without you. Help us to carve out the space, the time, the room for you, for your presence. Even if it's just a couple more minutes each day, we'll find our hearts thirsting for more righteousness, desiring more time with you, Lord. Just more time with you. Jesus. More of you. More of you, Lord more of you, more of you. Help us to invite you into every part of our day, making room for your presence, making room for, for us to just follow after your footsteps, Lord. Where you lead, we'll follow. Help us not to get ahead of you, Lord Jesus, but as we just make room for you, we'll see where you're walking and moving. Thank you for your presence. Help us to never fear a move of your spirit, Lord God. Rest on us. Help us to never fear, Lord God. When you want to move so mightily, help us to never shirk back, but Lord, just to press into you. Because your ways are better. Your ways are better. How could we ever think that we know better than you? Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you even want to spend time with me. Time with us. Thank you that you even want to spend time with us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Father, I pray as your church moves into their rest of their day, into their week, that they would feel the tension of the places in their day where they say, ah, oh, I need to make room for Jesus right here. And you will have your way, Father. You will have your way, Holy Spirit, to do a beautiful work. We anticipate great testimonies. As we give you room to work, Lord, you will fill it and you will move mountains and you will do amazing things and we will grow in you. We will grow in you. Thank you. Shake it up, Lord. Shake it up. Jesus, bless your church today. Bless your church today. You are welcome to stay and make more room for the Lord. If you're going, just go quietly. Be blessed in Jesus today. You are welcome to stay if you feel fit to do so. Bless you. God bless you. Have a beautiful week. Make room for Jesus' presence in your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.